It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Sam Ekstrom and Luke Inman fill in for Ron Johnson today. Two Viking starters on defense are officially free agents. How will the Vikings replace them next? Locked on Sports Minnesota podcast. It's endless Minnesota Vikings talk with the diverse voices of your local experts. Now the Ron Johnson Show. On the field, in the broadcast booth, Ron Johnson is Minnesota sports. He's played with them, hung out with them, and grown up with all the big names in Minnesota sports. They're hanging out with Ron Johnson. It's the Ron Johnson Show on the Locked On Sports Minnesota podcast. And it starts now. Welcome into the Ron Johnson Show. I'm Sam Ekstrom in for Ron. Part of today's show, Luke Inman joins me. We're going to talk Dalvin Tomlinson and Patrick Peterson becoming free agents. And then Ron previously interviewed Aiken Adell, former NFL linebacker, about his career, his life off the field. Great stuff with Ron and Aiken, brother of Remy Adell, another name you might know from the NFL. Uh, They'll hang out after Luke and I uh, talk a little bit about Vikings free agency. You can find this show on Lockdown Sports Minnesota, which is available on Roku, Amazon Fire Stick, the Lockdown Sports Minnesota app. You can also subscribe on YouTube, of course. Help us get to 5,000 subscribers, and we're free and available wherever you get your podcasts with the audio version. Luke, my man, good morning. Morning, Sam. Hey, Ron's making me jealous, man. I'm thinking about this two feet of snow we're supposed to get out here, and all I see is Ron on Twitter telling us how fresh the guac and salsa is down there because that's where the avocados are from, Sam. They're from Mexico. So he's making me jealous, but that's fine. He's on vacation out in La La Land. Meanwhile, we're back here doing the dirty work, figuring out this free agency class. Obviously, I'm getting into the draft quite a bit, but Mm -hmm. before we get there, we got to figure out how free agency is going to play out for the Vikings, especially these big two names, Dalvin Tomlinson and Patrick Peterson. No doubt about it. So why are we talking about this today? Well, If you get into the fine print of the contracts, Dalvin Tomlinson and Patrick Peterson, remember, in order to spread out their cap hit, uh, they had void years baked into their contract. So the void years kind of just like it's like money's all fake when you're Mm -hmm. dealing with the cap, right? Like you throw some of it in this year, you kick the can down the road to future years. But the way the contracts worked out is that they voided something like 23 days before the league year began, and that happened to be yesterday. So Patrick Peterson and Dalvin Tomlinson now officially hit the market, and that is significant because the Vikings had an opportunity where they could have negotiated exclusively with these guys. They could have come up with an extension for Peterson or Tomlinson while they own their rights, and they could have negotiated exclusively. Now they're on the open market. Now they're going to get, there's going to be a bidding war. And if the Vikings want them, they'll have to compete with other teams. And I think the writing is on the wall that they might not be back. I I think certainly in Dalvin Tomlinson's case, Luke, I think it's going to be a big ask, uh, ask to get that guy back. 
He's probably going to be heavily pursued. He's still fairly young, probably going to cost 10 million or more per year with the way he played the last couple of years. Patrick Peterson, maybe a tad more realistic one year kind of deal, but also the way he played, I got to think in his mind, he might expect a multi-year deal wherever he goes and to make more than he did last year because of the way he played. So Luke, if you had to put a number on it, I mean, one through 10 on Tomlinson and Peterson odds that they would happen to return to this team. Yeah, well, let me start with Peterson, too. And and the big thing here we got to keep in mind is Brian Flores coming in and this new scheme that he's going to lay out. And then, obviously, his need for guys who can play man coverage. And I'll say this about Peterson. I mean, as much as I love Patrick Peterson, one of the all-time greats, honestly, over the last 20 years, I remember being a huge fan of him coming out of LSU, fifth overall pick, lethal return man back in the day, true shutdown, just alpha cornerback in the league for all those years, Pro Bowl after Pro Bowl after Pro Bowl on his resume. But that was a long time ago, Sam. And as well as he played this season and for how many game-changing interceptions he made, it was obvious at the end, for me anyways, like Ed Donatel's scheme, I think, was really covering up some of his biggest weaknesses and allowing him to probably get away with probably a lot more than he should have been. Like, it was almost to the point, tell me if you ever felt like this, where it felt mm-hmm. like Donatel wouldn't change his scheme because he knew what it would do for Peterson, leaving him out there on an island and man coverage all game, and that he didn't want him to get exposed, didn't it? Didn't it kind of feel like mm-hmm. that at times? And that's the problem with this new Flores defense. You need guys that not just play man coverage, but excel there. Like that's their bread and butter. And I'm not saying he couldn't be competent there if you bring him back and be a valuable, you know, veteran in a room full of young guys as that mentor and teacher and leader. But man coverage means you got to be fast. You got to be quick footed. And when you're going up against some of these wideouts in the league now, uh, it, it's it's a tough task for a, what, 33, 34-year-old cornerback on the wrong side of his um, you know career at this point. So it's just yeah. clearly not a strong suit anymore. And I'll say this, too. If there was ever a year you needed a cornerback, whether that was in free agency or the draft, this is it. Like, the Vikings are going to have so many options waiting for them if they do let Peterson go, and they can just find a little bit of money to play with in free agency. Guys like Marcus Peters, Jonathan Jones, Cameron Sutton all kind of fit the bill. They would be instant upgrades, I think, for what Flores wants to run. And then I'll tell you, this may be just a little research that I've done already on this draft class maybe the best cornerback class we've seen as far as depth goes, maybe ever, which is saying something because last year's class, if you go back and look, was incredible too. And there may be six or seven corners to go in round one, which is bonkers already. But when you get into that second and third tier, there's just so many options. It's pick your flavors, so to speak. And that's where the Vikings can really win draft weekend and find a new group of guys, not just one guy to replace Peterson, but this new wave of guys to come in and take over for Peterson, both in the draft and free agency. So, you know, Peterson, you mentioned it. Maybe he thinks he can go get a little bit more money in free agency coming off the year he had, which was a very solid year as cornerback one on this defense. But it feels like this is going to come down to supply and demand. And unfortunately, not only is, you know, father time creeping up on Peterson, but the supply of good, young, affordable DBs out there to be had this offseason, it just makes it really tough, I think, to keep him around mm. on anything more than like a cheap, affordable one-year deal. I'm with you on every front there, Luke. 
Um, I think that while a lot of guys looked bad in Ed Donatel's scheme, I think it actually suited Patrick Peterson pretty well. And there were also some moments, too, where he kind of caught some breaks. Think about the first play of the season mm-hmm. when he got burned by Christian Watson for an 80-yard touchdown and Watson dropped the ball. Uh, that happened a handful of times. Patrick Peterson did have a knack for coming up with big plays in big moments, but on a play-to-play basis, I think that there are signs of a little bit of decline in foot speed. I think the brain is still there. I think that he's able to diagnose stuff and fool the quarterback once in a while. And I think his influence in the locker room, absolutely worth the price these last two years. Like he's been a phenomenal leader. He's amazing with the media. Um, And I think he backed it up. Like I think it was a good two years with Peterson. And I don't know if you need to stretch it any further than that. So here's the devil's advocate view on that though, Luke. It might, it feels a little bit like 2020. Like if you go forward without Peterson, um, remember 2020 when you went into the year with Dantzler, Gladney, Holton Hill, and Mike Hughes. Those were your top four cornerbacks. Uh, if you go forward without Peterson, then your Mike Hughes is Cameron Dantzler, and then it's Andrew Booth and a Caleb Evans. Um, maybe Duke Shelley if he comes back. But it's again a group of young second year guys you maybe add a rookie to that mix a bunch of unproven cornerbacks no um, so it is a sticky situation no you're i mean you're absolutely right like the the shelf is bare right now and and you know i think about you know they just the vikings that is just locked up Blake Brandle. They just locked up Tonga. Love that. They got to bring back Duke Shelley. I mean, it's a necessity, not only for as well as he played, but just to have another body in the room that's familiar and comfortable here in Minnesota on this defense. But you're right, Sam. Like, they have to go get a guy in free agency, and they have to go get at least one guy in the draft as well. And I, I think Patrick Peterson would be probably another good, solid, smooth stop gap if you do want to bring him back for one more year but it's kind of pick your poison we only have so much money here and you know you think about the Dalvin Tomlinson situation you can only keep so many of these guys I wish we could keep everybody it's just not how it works the Tomlinson situation you know on the other hand it's almost complete opposite when you look at who the Vikings were with him on the field and who they were without him because he was really I mean kind of the heart and soul of that interior unit and it was yeah. so painstakingly obvious when they he missed those few games how much of an impact that had uh, on the entire defense. He was a game changer for the entire defense, top to bottom, and the guys playing around him because the drop-off from him to the next guy or two in line was so far that teams were able to just kind of expose that weakness when he wasn't out there. And it was guys like Ross Blacklock and Jonathan Bullard, guys who, I mean, honestly, probably shouldn't be starting on an NFL defense, Mm. just on a game-to-game basis, if we're being honest. And so here I'm thinking, you know, I'm studying the draft a little bit. Here I'm thinking the Vikings already need to add more talent next to him and Harrison Phillips in this upcoming draft come April regardless. But if they were to, for some reason, not be able to bring him back, then they're going to be in a serious world of hurt and finding ways to replace him because it's it's not as easy as this cornerback market when you look at all the options in free agency and the draft. So I think Tomlinson... Yeah, you might have to shell up a little bit of extra coin, but he's going to be worth it because the drop-off and your options are just so obsolete in the other avenues come draft. You don't want to pigeonhole yourself come draft night to where now I have to take a defensive tackle with the first pick 
just to have a, a chance there to be competitive next season on the defensive line. That's just one of the worst things you can do from a GM or a front office standpoint, instead of, you know, playing the, uh, you know, best available game and, and following the board. Now all of a sudden you just got to pick out of need. Uh, that's a tough position to be in. And it's a tough sell to your fan base as well. When you overreach on a guy just because you need him. So you're right, Sam, you said at the beginning, Tomlinson's going to be spendy, but of the two, I, I think you have to find a way to clear some room, get yourself a little bit of extra money, and find a way to keep Tomlinson because your options to replace a defensive tackle versus cornerback this offseason is night and day different. Yeah, and it might all stem from how successful can you be in renegotiating some of your existing contracts mm-hmm. because the, the way I'm, I'm handicapping this, you know, look at the last three or three years or so of defensive tackle contracts. Um, you know, Javon Hargrave. 13 million a year dj reader um about again 13 million a year like that's that's what the top end of defensive tackles earn and i think dalvin tomlinson in an open market is worth that like i think that's what you have to pay him that's that's a hefty contract for a team that's as cap strapped as the vikings so do you clear nine and a half by cutting kendricks do you clear eight by cutting dalvin tomlinson do you renegotiate harrison Thielen, kirk cousins and then create enough space to give out one big deal. And do you choose to give that to Dalvin Tomlinson or do you spread it out? Like may- maybe you save that money and you give it to a cornerback, like we talked about, right? Like one of these positions might get paid. One of them might uh, have to go budget because the Vikings could pay like Byron Murphy or Jonathan Jones, Rocky Asin. That's going to cost seven, eight, nine million dollars per year at cornerback. And then do you have to go budget at defensive tackle? I was looking at one option. Former guy that played on Kevin O'Connell's Rams team, Morgan Fox. Pretty effective, not incredible, but a good rotational pass rusher on the inside. That might be somebody of intrigue to the Minnesota Vikings. Um, And maybe they look for someone who's a little more skilled at getting after the passer loop. Dalvin Tomlinson, probably more of a a little bit more run stuffer than Mm -hmm. he is penetrator. He's not getting the quarterback, not like Sharif Floyd used to do. Vikings haven't had a lot of those defensive tackles that can really pressure a quarterback for the last six seven years no you're absolutely right too and I'm just looking at some of these other free agents out here you're right they're all kind of old too for the price that you're gonna have to pay you mentioned it Fletcher Cox Javon Hargrave the big prize free agent is gonna be Deron Payne from Washington he's only 25 gonna be 26 next season already been a pro bowler huge part of that Ron Rivera defensive line I don't know if he wants to go back to Washington I don't know if they you know, have the money to retain him. I don't know Washington's situation, but, um, you know, he'll be the big prize free agent. And what that's going to do, Sam, he'll get signed early, day one or day two of free agency, if he's not already retained. But he'll kind of set the market, and there'll be a domino effect. And we'll see realistically what Delvin Tomlinson, you know, the market value is going to be. But you're right. You're already paying him, what, 10, 10 and a half last year? That's about the going rate. Maybe you got to cough up a little bit of extra. But this is a great reminder of how difficult things can get, how tight the money gets so quickly when you're paying a starting running back $13, $14, 15000000 million. <laughs> yeah. When you can get production and get a guy on a rookie deal, not even just a, a, a first, second round rookie deal, we're talking like a million uh, and change, you know, on a day three pick for some of these running backs. And you already got one in Ty Chandler sitting there right now, ready to take over. So it's tough. And I know it's an easy knee jerk reaction for a lot of people to just say, oh, we'll just go trade or cut Dalvin or uh, Dalvin Cook. 
You know, you can't pay a running back. And I get it. It doesn't work like that. It's not that easy. He is still one of the best running backs and game-changing players when healthy and on the field. Um, But, boy, when you start to think about cornerback and Dalvin Tomlinson at defensive tackle and all the other needs, and, all right, if we want to keep these guys, we got to cut some big names like Kendricks or Adam Thielen. You got to pick your poison. You got to cut a corner somewhere, Sam. And I think the league has shown us through this blueprint over the last five, 10 years that running back makes the most sense as far as just the lack of production and that drop off in talent uh, going to a, a, you know, more of like a, a day two or day three rookie. So you're saying the big offseason question is how many Dalvins stay on the team? Is it one Dalvin? Is it two Dalvins? Is it no Dalvins? How many Dalvins are going to be around on about, you know, April 1st? We'll find out here in a couple short weeks. Uh, that's Luke Inman. Uh, he is also big-time contributor to the Minnesota Football Party, which you can hear Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Sam Ekstrom, Ron's producer. We pivot now to Ron hanging out with former NFL linebacker Aiken Adell, part of a big NFL family. And before we get to that, a reminder that we are fueled by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of Locked On. You can bet NBA as it returns from the All-Star break. About 20 games to go in the season. Get in the action with a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets back. If your first bet doesn't win, download the app. Safe, secure, super easy to use. Instant returns when you win with those instant payouts and a lot of creative ways to get in on the action. It's not just spreads, not just money lines. You can do that, but you can also put together some exclusive bets, three-pointers made, rebounds, assists, all sorts of same-game parlay options as well in the NBA. FanDuel.com slash locked on to get your no-sweat first bet. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sports betting partner of the NBA. And now it's time for the Hanging Out with Ron Johnson segment. I got a friend, Aiken Dale. Uh, he and I played against each other, Minnesota-Purdue. We weren't friends then. Uh, hated Purdue. Like I told Drew Brees when I saw him at the uh, Giants playoff game, some of the worst Purdue games I've ever had uh, because of the refs. The refs cheated us. We're not going to get into that. Uh, Aiken was a part of one of those where somehow they were able to drive the field 80 yards with 19 seconds in the Metrodome. So I don't know how our home clock guy allowed that to happen when you look at the Dallas Cowboys losing with no time on the clock. I mean, hey, but anyway. Uh, but Aiken also played for the Jacksonville Jaguars. He and I had the same agent coming out of college, so we spent a lot of time in California working out together. Uh, Aiken, thanks for joining me on the Ron Johnson Show, man. Appreciate you joining me. Uh, first off, man, like you still look like you work out. I mean, because I remember when we were working <laughs> out, like me, Tank, uh, uh, Scott Fujita, uh, uh, Lamont uh, Thompson, like we were all like, man, this dude Aiken – it's built like Thor or something. Like you still look like you work out every day, man. How how are you able? Because I know I see your wife, beautiful wife, kids. How are you able to find time to still work out? Man, uh, well, first of all, man, it's great connecting with you. It's been a while, um, but I I've always been, you know, looked up to you in the sense of you've always moved the ball, moved the needle forward. Like you continue to grow, you continue to evolve jumped on a little early and listened to your iteration of football and all the plays. I swear, if this, if this podcast, if this media gig doesn't work out, you got coaching in your future, son. <laughs> you got coaching in your future. Um, so first, I, man, it's, it's, it's part, like, I'm, you would hate being around me if I don't sweat. 
And if I don't, <laughs> you know, break a sweat, get my heart going, I'm a terrible human being. And so I have to find time. Uh, and my wife knows it. So for me, finding time is at four, four thirty, five in the morning. Wow. You know, I get it in. You know, usually my day goes like this. I get up in the morning that early. Um, I do my devotion. I pray. You know, I spend time with God. And then I'm in the gym somewhere. I'm running. I'm sweating. And then then I'm, I'm at peace. You know, I'm centered. And then the whole day happens. So. Yeah, you got to get it in, man. It's it's and it's not. I don't do anything crazy. I don't do anything remotely close to what I used to. So it's just just keeping mobility and keeping the body flowing and the blood moving. Well, man, you motivated me. I mean, I'm not getting up at four in the morning because uh, sometimes <laughs> I'm just going to sleep. Like I, I mean, I don't yeah. know why. I gotta I gotta get better. My wife, I told she told me that too. I gotta get better because uh, when I know I gotta take the kids to school or get them to the bus, I do go to sleep. But if I know I don't have to do anything besides like jumping on the <laughs> podcast in the morning, getting the show done, uh -huh. like I can I can do a slow a show sleepy. So I, I just I don't know. It, it's tough for me to go to sleep. But no, you definitely motivated me because uh, we're, we're we're taking a trip. So I'm gonna have to figure that out. I might. I know my wife likes to get, get that up. Soul she is body a, right. Yeah, she's well. She's a six a.m. workout person. She does do it sometimes. So I told her when we're in Mexico, maybe I'll get up with her before the sun's up, start running because we usually run like two and a half. It's like two and a half miles down to the end of the beach. And then two and a half miles okay. back. So it's like a five mile run. Uh, so I, I might, I might do that with her. I got to get the, the knees iced up and stuff. Yeah, um, <laughs> the whole warm up before you even can can work out. I get it. <laughs> but yeah, man, talking about like we because I've been talking about this all week, man. Like the RPO offenses. You look at the 49ers and how they move and shift to to make the defense tell them what they're going to do. But in your opinion, when you look at these RP, because this is new, when you look at these RPO offenses where the offensive line. So in college. Offensive linemen can go three yards down the field and it can still be a pass, which is ridiculous. In the NFL, it's one yard. So you get about one yard. And if you go past that one yard and the quarterback throws a ball, it's a flag. So the Eagles do a great job of moving lateral in a zone scheme. So whether it's a run or a pass, they're not beside the line. And then Jason Kelsey is one of the best with that internal clock of 1 1,000, 2 1,000, go. And Jalen Hurts has to get the ball out of his hand. But in your mind as a linebacker, how frustrating is that where normally the line stays back? You know, it's a pass. The line comes at you. It's a run. But now they can actually take one or two steps at you and it can still be a pass now. So when they change these rules, like how, how does that affect you as a linebacker? Oh, it's it's huge because for on the defensive side of the ball, you're trying to get every edge. And that edge really is trying to create leverage and trying to move fast. And when you are, you know, when you look at the play, and you're you're not certain whether it's the run or pass, and you're trying to figure that out. So now your feet is almost grounded, and you, it's like cement, and you can't move. Completely avoids takes away your athleticism, your speed, and your leverage points. So not being sure and being uncertain definitely is an advantage for the offense. So we hate it. I know they hate <laughs> it. Uh, you know, we like to be very de uh, defined. Is it run? Is it pass? And let me get to my zone. Let me get to my gaps. And if you can't do that, you know, with speed as your, as the ultimate equalizer, it definitely favors the offense. Yeah. Cause I mean, I, I tweeted it out. There's a video of uh number 54 Warner. Fred Warner is a freak. He's a unicorn. Yes. He can move. He can, I mean, the Tampa two, we know what Tony Dungy created that. And that's basically people simple layman's terms. Tampa two is a cover two shell, two high safeties corners are up, you know, either in a zone flat or they're going to chase, but then that's linebacker is going to cover the middle. So now the safeties, when we run for vertical, whenever, whenever it was middle of the field open, meaning two safeties out middles open, 
if I'm the tight end or I'm the slot receiver, which I did a lot for the Bears, I have the bender, which means nobody's in the middle of the field, and I'm just mm-hmm. racing to the middle to be the linebacker. You see a guy like Warner cover CD Lamb yeah. 15 to 20 yards down the field, yeah. but in on your his hip. on his hip. And but you 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 hit the nail on the head when you said cement because if you watch the Eagles play, he didn't move for like two seconds. And yeah. the Fox, or I don't know what channel, Fox or CBS, whoever covered it, or NBC, they circled him to show that play to say, hey, look at the line, but he didn't move. And the running backs out the backfield. And so that is tough when you have to read all these guys. Um, moving on, though, man, let's go on to the NFL. You were a Jacksonville Jaguar, man. Duval. Duval is, is exciting now. Duval wasn't a thing when you played, but now it is. Yes, it was. Oh, it was? Yes, yes, it was. Okay, we just didn't have Twitter how, then. How, Maybe that's what it how, was. We didn't have Twitter. How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> yes, well, you know it was. I mean, it was myself, Mike Peterson. Uh, Marcus Stroud, John Henderson. I mean, we were Duval. Okay. Day. We used to wear the all black uniforms. Yes. Come on, man. Okay. Okay. It was just pre Twitter then. My bad. My yeah, bad. Exactly. Because yeah, I didn't right. know about it until Twitter. Because uh, honestly, we, because <laughs> with the Ravens, like, I don't think we ever played the Jags. Oh, no. We, we did play you guys one time. I do have a picture against the Jags now that I think about it. We played you guys one time, but we never went to Jacksonville, so I never yeah, heard that. Yeah, it was that. always up in Baltimore. Yep, it was always in Baltimore. I do have, mm-hmm. matter of fact, I do have a picture because I ran a, a, a like a, a, co- a cover two corner route, and that was one of my favorite uh, pictures. I got to find it somewhere. We just moved, so I haven't even put pictures up on the wall. I got a picture with Aiken. Me and Aiken took a picture after the game. Matter of fact, now that I think yeah. about it, I had one with Lamont, uh, Tank Williams, uh-huh. all the guys I worked out. We all took pictures after the game, so I do have it now that I think about it. Where, where's my memory? Um, but when you think about Duval in, in Jacksonville and what they stand for, like you said, like you guys had some good years, but now with Trevor Lawrence, it's kind of becoming like it's legit. Like everybody's like, okay, this team can be really good. Uh, what is it about Duval though, as a whole, and just the, the atmosphere, the mentality that they have to have to continue to move forward with a guy like Trevor Lawrence? Yeah. You know, I think a lot of times when you look at teams in my, in my belief, um, you got to start internally. And the organization, uh, when Jack Dorio came about, so, you know, Tom Coughlin was the mm-hmm. first coach, established a dominant winning pro organization. And towards the latter years of his tenure there, you know, things kind of went down. And then I came in and they added some really good pieces. And then Jack Dorio came in. In that span, we were a winning organization, but it really started internally. So, with Jack having the right coaches and the right offensive coaches and the right defensive coaches. But at, at the helm of all of that, uh, while, you know, we're able to go to the playoffs when I was there. And if you look at the years that they've been back, it all starts with that quarterback position. When you don't have a key player who sees the field and has that cerebral mindset to look and see and know where to place the ball and know how to lead the offense, you know, you can have a, you know, we at the, in the era where, you can have a great defense, mm-hmm. but if you don't have an offense that can take advantage of, I, I like to say the rules are set up for the offense to really move the ball and score points. Um, that really, you know, notifies having having even a decent decent defense. So Trevor does, I think he is the key player, as we all know, and he is at a for a kid who is young has done a great job leading and just letting the play you know, on the field, you know, be the statement week in, week out. You know, you and then you have a head coach who knows how to really coach, who knows how to to, to take the, the his talent, his skills, what he does well, the plays that he he can 
He knows how to read the defense well. He feels comfortable in. And you let that be the advantage and not try to out-scheme, out-think defenses. Like sometimes coaches overthink, you know, and just let the players go out there and play. And the players, that's what they've been doing. So I'm happy to, to see Duval back on the map. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they are doing great. Uh, you know, tough, tough scene when you think about some, some of the games uh, that they could have won, you know, the position they could have been in the playoffs. I mean, there's a lot to that. Uh, but had a great, great, great into the season. Uh, as far as some of the big moments, but um, looking at, and, and it's funny too, just to get off subject, when you j- mentioned about you have to sweat, I just remembered every time we would get out to work out, like me, Lamont, and Tank would be like laughing and having fun, and you would be like super serious, angry guy. And I would never forget that. <laughs> now that I think about it, Lamont used to always kind of like, because you would wake up and you'd have like that, like, man, I just want to get in here, get my workout in, and go back to the hotel. And Lamont would always be like, man, why is he so angry? Like, he's always so angry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, that, but I've always been that way. You know, I I just always, when it came down to, to training, working, I just, I like to just take care of business and then we can have fun later. And then, I mean, that's another reason I used to, I didn't mind working out early just because you get that behind you and then you got the rest of the day to do whatever. True, True yeah. Because me, me taking Lamont, we used to joke around a ton, play around. You were super Serious, I will yeah. never forget that now because I thought about that because they always like, man, he's so angry. Why is he so angry? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and yeah, then you would man. always like you would always kind of try to keep the straight face, and then eventually during the workout, you'd end up laughing. Yeah, it was breaking it down. But know, oh man, it down. was it was hilarious. It but... was a good time. Those were good times. <laughs> I mean, if you could go back and say, would you change anything about that experience? No, I yeah, wouldn't. I mean. It was fun, but then we we pushed each other, we challenged each other. I mean, we were able to just use our you know our skills, our talent that we had to actually elevate one another, and that's one of the things. You know, I from from working out with you or from running with you, you know, I became better, I became faster, I became more agile. And the same way, you know, you know how to you know when we go against each other, you know, okay, if a linebacker approaches me this way, this is how I need to prepare for. But doing it at such an elite level. I believe all of us did play in the, in the senior bowl, right? Yep, all of yeah. us were preparing yep. for senior bowl. And all of us, you know, had invites to the combine. All of us, you know, got drafted. So, I mean, you're talking about an elite group of young athletes who at a at a high level, at a young age, were professionals already before we even got in. Yeah. Yeah. No, nobody yeah. slapped. Yep. Yep. Me, you, Lamont, Tank, uh, Scott Fujita. I forgot Fujita. the big lineman, the uh, big tackle. Uh, from UCLA, yeah, I forgot his name, but he was with us, um, and he got drafted as well. Uh, yeah, no, we had a, we had a great group of guys. Uh, when you think about that and the, the ability and, and the bless, you know. And so, looking at the Senior Bowl, like the Senior Bowl for a lot of the college players and even bowl games, you know. Let's start with bowl games. When you look at the college football player now that opts out of bowl games or decides to go to the Senior Bowl but doesn't want to, you know, do anything besides meet with teams. Um, and, and a lot of GMs are saying that's not the way to do it. They want to see you compete against the best. They want to see you play in a high-level bowl game. Like Nick Saban, of course, he wants his players to play. Um, but Nick Saban said that too. Like, th- this is not the way to do it. You need to finish your season out with your team because I don't care how many drills you do. I want to see you do football stuff against football players. Uh, what are your thoughts on that of the players now that to continue to opt out? Uh, and they're not like first round picks. They're just like, look, I just don't want to do it. I don't want to get hurt. Like I want to, I want to just wait and go to the NFL. What are your thoughts on players like that? 
or you know making that decision yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um Man, I'm progressive in my thinking when it comes to that. You know, I'll be honest. I love it. I love it. Okay. I think, you know, players to have that leverage to be able to say, I am going to, in this phase of life where I have a chance to be, you know, there's a difference between a first round and a, and a sixth round pick, right? right? But if I, you know, whether you're second, third, fourth, or even fifth round, and I know that I have a chance to guarantee me pretty much a spot as long as I do my job and mm-hmm. I can guarantee me a minimum of $500,000 base salary. You know how hard it is to make that kind of money in the real world yep. in a short amount of time? We know that. Like, yep. we know that. So I think that players are understanding the financial benefits of protecting themselves from injury and to take away that one game. We say maybe one practice or that one game, but it doesn't matter. It matters because that's the difference between – you know, making a million dollars and making, you know, pennies on a dollar. Like, there's a difference. Yeah. Um, it's the same thing, you know, when, when guys talk about, you know, with a, you know, if you're a junior and you opt to go into the draft uh, and you don't have your degree, oh, you know, you should stick it out, get your degree. You know, that's, a, and then the next year they get hurt and they yep. were a first round talent and now you're, you don't get drafted. I mean, that's the difference between millions of dollars. Uh, so it's the same mindset. It's the same philosophy as I look at it. You know, as fans, we don't like it because we want to see the best of the best playing at all times. As coaches, I get it. You want to have your own assessment versus the, the, the college scouts or, you know, the pro scout assessment. You want to be able to see a guy move. But if if that's your only assessment of a, an athlete, then you're in the wrong business. Because yep. it's a collective, right? It's what they've done over time. It's what they've done consistently over time that you need to look at. And at the end of the day, game, game tape don't lie. Yeah. The no. eye in the sky. The eye in the sky doesn't lie. And if they haven't done enough to that point, then, yeah, then they shouldn't be drafted. Or they shouldn't be put in that position. But, you know, so I, I think players are, are right. They choose to opt out. I think it's their prerogative and it's their right to do it. And I like it. Um if I was in the, if I was in that situation now as a college athlete, and I'm looking at my draft status, you know, I was I was projected between the second round and the fifth round, and I got drafted in the third round. I think I would I I don't know I probably I probably knowing me because I love to compete I probably would play, but I wouldn't shun down any player that chose not to. Right, and that's that's and that's where I go with it too. I mean, I I'm the same way. Like I I could have left my junior year, you know, had you know all American, all Big Ten. Um, you know, myself, David Terrell, and then you look at who got drafted that year, Reggie Wayne, Santana Moss. There were six receivers taken in the first round. Uh, I ended up being the ninth receiver taken in the next year, but we only had three in the first round, which then pushed me back to the fourth round. So I always look at that too, but I, I, I do know if I hadn't have stayed, I wouldn't have started dating my wife and we wouldn't be married with two kids. So I always think, you know what, God has a plan. Uh, it, it's going to work out the way it should work out anyway in the Absolutely. end. Maybe I would have went back to Minnesota to finish up my degree, and then we would have met and started dating then. Who knows? Who um, knows? But it's no guarantee. You know, it's, it's yeah. no guarantee. Um, but here's where I go with this one. Uh, when you look at uh, Minnesota versus Purdue, and I'm going back to 2001. Uh, yeah. Oh, yes. 35, oh, yes. 35 to 28, <laughs> Purdue pulls off a miracle in OT. <laughs> Yes, we got cheated because uh, we, got cheated. we got cheated. We got cheated. Purdue. And I was on 
go ahead. Purdue had 19 seconds left when they got the ball. 19, because I'm looking at this. And somehow they were able to drive down the field to tie it up 28 to 28. 25 to 28, Purdue's down 19 seconds, and they drove 80 yards. 81, to be exact. 81 yards. And then somehow, well, not 81, but they probably drove 70. I don't know, to get in field goal range. Kicked a field goal. In overtime, they beat us, but the end zone was messed up. There's a picture to show that our receiver was in bounds. It should have been our touchdown, and the game should have been over. But when you think about big games like that and just college football as a whole, man, like what's what's some great memories you've had uh, of games like that? You know, being an OT, you know, playing against some of the top, uh, you know, running backs, you know, like look at Marion Barber because Marion Barber was in that game. Uh, yeah. You know, playing against some of the best backs, uh, not just in college, but, you know, in the NFL. Uh, you know, you look at Wisconsin and Ron Dane and all that stuff. Like, what are some memories you have from college? Oh, so many. Uh, first of all, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that, <laughs> that game itself, okay? So that game, I was actually on the field goal uh, that had to run out. We prep every practice for scenarios like that. And to actually have a real-life situation where you're in a game that comes up, and we executed. Um, to me, you know, it really goes back to you know preparation, preparation, preparation is everything. And mind you, we had a All American uh, kicker as well, Travis Dorsch, that did that. Oh yeah. So, yep. and you think about all the players. I think Travis, myself, were the only two in that class that had an opportunity to play at the next level. They got drafted at the next level, and all of the rest of the guys that didn't. But the fact that they had that moment. And when we go back and we reconnect and we have homecoming, those types of games come up regularly in the conversation. Like we have that bond, we have that memory, and we have that time together. So, you know, a lot of a lot of you know sports, a lot of sports in life, it's all about the memories that you create. And I think back to games like that. I think back to you know going against um, um, Tom Brady at Michigan and getting yeah. our butts whooped in the first half, and then all of a sudden. The second half, we come rolling back, and then similar situation where we win with a field goal, and um, and myself dropping an interception. You know, like things like that. They're funny, but at the same time, they're memories that just are hedged in your mind. And regardless of how old you get and how many gray hairs you have on your face, and you know, you always will have that that moment and that time with your teammates and and the bond. You know that you that you created because of all the hard work and being able to. You know, for me, going to a university like Purdue as, as an 18 year old was more about the education. So to to top all of the education and the icing on the cake, well, to create a, a program that was successful and winning and to win the Big Ten, you know, says a lot. You know, it says a lot. Timing, God putting the right people at the right time and the right coaches to be able to develop young players uh, like myself and others. So, you know, college and, and you know, just sports, man, anything that you can compete to me is a great way, you know, to really build what I see now in the business world of soft skills and intangibles that are hard to develop young men and even adults that, you know, you would think that they should have that maturity or these, these uh, intangibles that, you know, they don't have, but because they haven't had these college experiences. So, yeah, man, there, there's a lot. I can, I have a long list of memories of, you know, <laughs> of games 
I can think about, especially going against Minnesota, because I never lost against Minnesota. <clears throat> that is true. That is true. I just I just looked at I just looked at all the scores and uh yeah. <laughs> yeah, we almost had that one though. We almost had that really one in 2001. We almost had it. I did have I mean I will say I did have eight catches, hundred yards, and two touchdowns. So I did what you I could do. do that. Okay. I did what I could do. The year before that, Drew Brees, I mean, I had seven catches that game. I did what I could do. But Drew Brees threw for 409 yards. And that's the game, you know, for people. Like, I haven't posted the picture yet on Twitter because I've been saving my, like, end-of-the-season pictures. I got a ton of pictures from this season I need to post. But, yeah, Drew and I would talk. And, uh, yeah, 409 yards. Like, in at Purdue, 409 yards. Our defense couldn't stop a running nose. So, we, <laughs> we just – we got absolutely demolished. And I think it was back-to-back years. Like, I haven't even looked at the 2000 – or the 1999 year. Like, I think Drew Brees killed us in 99. Lost, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like it was just it was was one of those things where we never let's see 1999 Minnesota Purdue. Yep. It was closer though. 33 to 28 cuz that was our year. We were really good that year. But yeah, 33 to 28. We just it just is what it is. Like we just we just had no answer for Purdue. Uh it is what it is. But Aiken, I want to talk real quick about uh before we jump into the daily 3, that's three questions, 3 minutes each. Brom, you guys lost your coach. Um him and PJ Fleck had a love-hate relationship. Uh, he hated PJ, PJ, they hated him. They both loved to beat each other. I think that was the answer for their relationship. Uh, the handshakes were always weird, but he kind of left in the dark at night. Like it wasn't like a big time, like leave, like, Oh, I'm going to sign with the new school. And there's rumors he's interviewed. It was just like, all of a sudden he wasn't the coach anymore. Um, do you think it's because so many other big time coaches were out there looking for jobs? Or do you think like he purposely didn't want people to like know what was going on? Um, so I've, I've had the preview of just being connected to the university still, mm -hmm. um, spent some time there obviously. And I'm part of a couple of committees, you know, since hiring coach Brown, which, you know, I appreciate his tenure, um, and, and, you know, getting our team and the program up to a level where it was competitive and, uh, you know, going to bowl games. Um, but there was always a rumor there that his heart was, was in Louisville. Okay. Uh, I know that, you know, he played there. Yep. I believe his wife was from there. So we knew at some point, the uh, you know, those that were you know, part of leadership there knew at some point a time would come when his tenure would expire and he would go if the opportunity presented itself. So it was all about timing. Um, you know, there's no love lost there. I think everybody appreciated how where what he built and how he left the program for now brian walters to continue and actually accelerate and build upon so you know i i have had many many of encounters with coach brown uh he's always been great to me he's actually you know have, have had me come speak to the team multiple times and you know i just appreciate the openness that uh he's had uh and, and his tenure at Purdue. so i'm sure louisville will be great but our focus now is supporting, you know, Ryan Walter and, and getting the program, you know, in great shape and getting these guys ready for a new season. Yeah. And, uh, and real one quick one too, when you think about PJ Fleck and roll the boat and, you know, so many schools now understand like it, when he first started, people made fun of it. They used it as a, you know, a, a Twitter joke or a meme. Uh, but now after his book came out explaining roll the boat, you know, uh, losing a child, uh, going through tough times in his life. Roll the boat was just a model. He told himself to get out of bed every day. Uh, and you see players now doing it. You see other schools now respecting it. And, and more and more schools now actually are starting to create a culture because it's about setting a culture, creating a culture within the building. Um, what do you think the scope is for the Big Ten when you look at, uh, you know, now P.J. Fleck, 
you know, Purdue's coach. You got uh, Michigan with uh, Harbaugh. Now you have, uh, what's his name, Luke Fickle over Wisconsin. You got uh, Nebraska, just got Matt Rue from the NFL. Uh, when you look at that as a whole scope, though, like when, when, when you hear roll the boat comes to your mind or you see the khakis of uh, Harbaugh, what comes to mind when you see those things? Um, you know, we all need a we all need a, a, a rallying call, um, and I think part of building a culture is is uh, having your team focus on something that a theme that gets them moving forward. Right? They lift their spirits. Uh, they we will always have tough times. You know, there's there's no such thing as going through life and not being scarred or scathed. And so you need something that picks you back up. You know, in, in our household, I have I'm a, I'm a I'm a girl dad true and true i have two daughters and even with my daughters from the time that they started moving you know uh, our call was just up you know we get up and without saying a word on uh, my daughter she's two and a half she falls down she doesn't cry she's like up 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 and she she flies back up and she starts jumping um and in any organization for you to stir the boat or stir the ship or stir the organization in the right path of being positive thinking positive, being motivated, willing to do the hard things, you know, you need a theme and you need a, you need a rallying call, call for that. So with PJ, you know, uh, with Coach Fleck thinking that way, I, I commend him and being vulnerable. I mean, think about it. We're parents to be able to lose a child and then share that with the world, um, you know, says a lot about his character and how far he's grown and he, as a man, right? Uh, to be able to relate to other men. So all across the board, coaches now, you know, I think there's a there's a different connection with players now. Prior to maybe even our era, you know, coaches were old school, my way, the highway, this is how it's done, regardless of how you feel about it. And they understand that, you know, talent needs, a, a, a well, I'll say this, talent needs a great team around them to be success, mm -hmm. to be successful. And you can have all the talent, but if you don't have the right pieces and you if you don't have the right minds that can, will follow you, it doesn't matter. And so they now coaches are having to be open and be vulnerable and share things like this to connect to their players and to relate to their players. And thank God, you know, for for men like that, because I think they're really raising and helping, you know, the future generations of young athletes and men. Yeah, we appreciate it. Well, we got coming up next, we got myself, Sam, and Aiken. We're going to jump into the daily three. That's three questions, three minutes each. And remember, when you subscribe to Locked On Sports Minnesota, you're getting endless Vikings talk with local experts. Subscribe to the free Locked On Sports Minnesota podcast feed wherever you find your podcast. And you can find our videos on the Locked On Sports Minnesota YouTube channel. And we have a word from our sponsors. Make sure to check out Locked On Sports today. The biggest stories around the sports world in 20 minutes or less, plus instant reactions, game recaps, and Locked On's take of the day. Locked On Sports today, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Well, now it's time for the Daily Three. That's three questions, three minutes each. Take it away, Sam. All right, Aiken, I'm going to throw this at you to start. You have a brother. Younger brother who played in the NFL. Did you ever take on your brother's team? And if so, what memories do you have from those meetings? Um, I actually had two brothers that played in the NFL. Uh, but the one I believe you're talking about is Remy, who actually won a Super Bowl ring with my college quarterback, Drew Brees. <laughs> yep. um, so Remy and I actually played together uh, in, in Dallas. Uh, we were on the same team together. So we played two years there. 
And then when I got traded to Miami, he went to New Orleans. And cool story about that, uh, it was the, the Super Bowl run year uh, where New Orleans had a great run late in the season. And we actually played, they played here in Miami and my mom also attended that game. And so she, you know, a house divided, right? So she, you know, trying to figure out whose jersey she would wear. Um, a friend of ours, really cool, bought both jerseys, cut it in half, you know, had the Adel on the back and the front was the Miami 51 and on the back was uh, 92 Saints colors. Uh, and so she was in a stance rooting her, both her boys on. That's that's the take on that. That's cool. So it's like Travis Kelsey and Jason Kelsey. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But in her in her heart of hearts, like because if if that's your little brother, right, or your older brother, uh -huh. older brother, younger brother, yeah, right. So in your heart of hearts, did you feel like she was kind of pulling for her little baby, or because she felt like nah, big, nah, big I'm, the, I'm the own? oldest. I'm I'm the oldest, so I'm always the favorite. So you're the favorite. You know? <laughs> <laughs> at least that's what i tell myself yeah <laughs> what you got next Sam? that that's great all right this is for both of you uh preparing for the 2002 draft what was your biggest strength in the pre-draft process and what was your biggest weakness in the pre-draft process start with you aiken what do you mean by strength and weakness like, um i mean more? maybe it was a workout you did maybe it was an interview you were really good in the interview room um uh -huh. all all the things that go into like kind of creating your resume okay uh, that's a good one um i would say my biggest strength was the fact that i was a hybrid i came pre i was drafted pre at the time that I came into the league, there were more 4-3 defenses than there were 3-4. I think there were only two at the time, Pittsburgh being one, and maybe Baltimore might have been the other. I don't, I don't remember. But it was where now you have this hybrid mode of guys that could play linebacker or defensive end. So I was in that phase. So my strength at the time, because teams didn't know if they wanted to use me at defensive end mm -hmm. or outside backer, but they knew that I could play both. And so which gave me a high rating at the time. My weakness will probably fall into that category too, because they just wasn't sure. I had mm -hmm. enough tape at defensive end. I had enough tape at linebacker, but they didn't know how to use me and which one was which one I, I was better at linebacker. Was I better at the end? Now being six three, I think the biggest I ever, uh, heaviest I ever was in college was probably two fifty five, and that was my senior year. I just didn't have the frame to put on more weight. So while I thought that I would have been a great defensive end in the league, um, I ended up getting drafted as a linebacker, which also worked out great. Mm -hmm. I will say he is right about the uh, Ravens because we were a 4-3 my first year, and then we switched to a 3-4 when they drafted Suggs for that reason. Terrell Suggs was the same thing. He wasn't a big – I mean, he ended up getting bigger as he grew up and got older and just put on that grown man, old weight, like, you know, I'm just going to get bigger. Yeah, when they first when they first drafted him, he was 248. And so they were like, yeah. well, he's not really a DN in a 4-3 defense, so let's switch to a 3-4. Let's put him an outside backer. Ray Lewis hated it because he was uncovered. And yes, Aiken knows that is. as an inside, as inside yes. linebacker being uncovered. Yes. And you just have a cock nose. And so listen, now you got two listen, guards. I used to have a lot of hair. I used to have a lot of hair. You remember, I used to have a lot of hair. And it wasn't until I went to Dallas and played in the Bill Parcells old school stack 3-4 defense, everything kept falling down. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I became bald. It's because of the 3-4.
<laughs> but for me, my, my, my strength was my size. I was 6'3", 225, 228 pounds uh, coming out of college. So just a lot of teams uh, use that. I kind of wish I had done the hybrid tight end stuff I did with the Bears earlier because uh, the Ravens, I kind of did it, but I didn't like I, I wasn't fully bought in. I was just like, oh, you guys are just doing something because you want to run the ball. Uh, not realizing at 245, I could have been a really good hybrid tight end that, you know, they could use in multiple Flex sets, but out. I didn't, yeah, I didn't buy into it. I was like, ah, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a tight end. But then when the Bears said, I'm like, well, dang, this is the second coach to bring this up. Let's try it. And I ended up getting to like 247 and uh, play linebacker. I just did it too quick, though. I mean, sorry, run uh, tight end, but I just did it too quick. But that was my strength, my size. My weakness, honestly, was probably not understanding uh, pro coverages. Because college coverages and our offense was so simple at Minnesota that it didn't matter what coverage we were going to run the same. The only coverage change was off or press. Press, I got a fade off and run a hitch. That's the only times you got to end in cover two slant versus man slants. That's it. But now, like these coverages, routes changing, safeties rolling down, like you got to change it to a cover two corner. We didn't do that in college. So that was my actual weakness was uh, being able to talk football. Like I can't, the way I talk it now, I wish. I can go back and tell my younger self, like, hey, man, like, go go, go to another coach and learn coverages. Like, go do, hang out with the DB coach all week and practice it, it, when you're with the Gophers uh, and just learn all the coverages and what, what happens in them. But, yeah, that would, that would be for me. What you got next, Sam? All right, last one. It's a simple one. Um, I want you to think back to the cities you played in during your NFL career. What was your favorite city to be a part of, to be part of that community during your NFL career? Aiken? Hmm. Um, who that's tough. Yeah, that's tough because man, I had, um, I was very involved in the community. Uh, you know, I, I mean, my, every, every organization that I played for, um, I won the community award, uh, for every, every, every team. So Jacksonville, Dallas, Miami, um, I, I think I, I to be honest, look, okay, I do have a favorite one. Uh, I do have a favorite. It would be Dallas. It would be Dallas. I'm from, I'm from Irving originally. And part of me going to back to Dallas was because I wanted to be closer to home. And obviously the, the Dallas Cowboys team that you know, right in my backyard, I grew up watching. Um, so naturally the truth comes out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for me, I only had two. I mean, it was the bears or the Ravens. And I, I got to go with the Ravens though, just for, uh, the community stuff like Aiken brought up, like we did the stuff in the off season where I actually got to coach a high school team in the off season to help out the high school. And so I did that every year. That was fun. Um, honestly though, like right now, I would say being a part of the Vikings organization, I never played for the Vikings, uh, never worked out for the Vikings, but when I was done playing and came back and was working with the big 10 network, the Vikings kind of, and Fox here reached out to me, like, you know, and, and really embraced me. Like, I mean, they're, they're emailing me and texting me and I'm, I mean, I'm doing a show for them tomorrow. Um, and so, you know, they send me t-shirts and hoodies and stuff. I mean, they sent us this bear for my kids, you know, like that, that's, that's, I'd say for this community and just doing some of the stuff, being at the Vikings events, like we went to the mall America before the playoff game. And it was ridiculous. Like the number of fans, uh, that showed up to the mall of America. I think they were sold out as far as standing room only just to watch us do a show, talk Vikings, had a couple alumni players there. Um, so I'd say actually Minnesota right now, you know, I wasn't, I didn't play for the Vikings, but being a part of their organization now, uh, it, it's one of the best as far as just the way the fans really live and die by their Vikings football, uh, and how welcoming they are to guys like myself that, that do their pregame show, that do their postgame show, 
uh, as we grow, this is year nine. Now we're going into year nine. I'm in home Depot now. And people come up to me, asking me like, what's your, what's your, what's your prediction going to, what's your pick going to be this week? Like I I watch the show every week and we love your picks. Mm -hmm. Like what's your pick going to be, you know? So, so even doing that where you don't know who watches the show, but I'm very thankful. Thanks for the people that continue to download and listen and watch the podcast as well. Uh, But yeah, that would be my favorite one. But I want to thank Aiken for joining me on the show. I want to thank Sam for all his hard work that he continues to do. Uh, we had a long week, two weeks, because there's a two-week break for the Super Bowl, people. So we had a long time to talk football. Uh, but there's a lot of parlays out there when you think about basketball now, because football season, hey, it's gone in the, it's gone like that. It's over. But we got parlays, we got hockey, you got, I mean, the NHL's on FanDuel, everything. Basketball, I'm gonna give you some parlays for basketball because I'm a hooper at heart. And so when you get to see these Anthony Edwards parlays, you might want to jump on them because the boy is putting up numbers. But I thank you guys for continuing to watch the show. Download, listen. Thank you, Amazon Fire, Roku, uh, FanDuel. We thank you guys for continuing to sponsor and, and come alongside of us. If you want Endless Vikings Talk, though, make sure you subscribe to the Locked On Sports Minnesota uh, podcast feed on YouTube where you can find all of our videos and shows, instant podcasts after every game, and the Vikings press conferences delivering all the biggest news. Because when there's a player gone, we're going to have the press conference for you or when they sign a player because it's going to happen this offseason. It's going to be big. So stay tuned for that. I want to thank you and have a great day. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.